Hello and welcome to Epicenter Bitcoin, the show which talks about the technologies, projects and startups driving decentralization and the global cryptocurrency revolution. My name is Sebastian Couture. And I'm Brian Fabian Crane. Today is June 29th of 2014 and thanks very much for joining us for episode 26. Today is a bit of a special episode because we don't have a guest as usual. Instead, we'll be showing or playing a conversation I had in Toronto with the guys from Bitcoin Decentral. I've been kind of on a North America trip. I'm about to head back to Berlin, but uh, I was also stopping by Toronto and talked extensively with the guys there. Yeah, but before we get into that, there's a couple of things we want to talk about. Um, so we we did a, our interview with Mike Hearn last week. Which was very exciting. Yeah, which was super exciting. And the response that we got from that uh, just kind of both you know took us by surprise. Uh, I was also traveling last week. I uh, just got back today, actually. It was uh, uh, in the south of France with some friends. And Brian, you sent me a message uh, you know, saying that things were kind of blowing up on Reddit. And uh, we also got covered on Coindesk. So um, it's by far our most popular episode. And uh, and think uh, that um, the discussion on Reddit is kind of uh, a testimony to you know the uh, well I mean to what Mike was saying is that there's some problems right now in uh, in the uh, Bitcoin core development and it is kind of worrying so I think people are taking it seriously. What do you think? Yeah, I mean I, I guess you know Mike said some things that were uh, controversial and are controversial and they're very quotable so the reddit post was i think mike said you know we are in a state of crisis this is a crisis period for bitcoin development and it's the development on the bitcoin core essentially has completely stopped and uh, of course because mike is such a well-known and uh, recognized person uh, people posted on reddit and there was a huge discussion about that i mean people disagreed with him some people supported him it was a very controversial um so so there's definitely people who, who don't view it the way he does but uh, it, it's uh, it's an important topic and it's uh, created a lot of conversation i know in reddit there was more than 200 comments uh, kind of discussing this these statements by mike hearn and you know a lot of people weighed in from like mike hearn himself to peter todd and other guys I, I had never really heard of this problem with the core development, right? So what's interesting about this is how it kind of just took me by surprise and maybe took others by surprise as well. I mean, we see everything, uh, you know, the infrastructure is being built on top of Bitcoin. But in the meanwhile, uh, uh, well, what Mike's point of view seems to be is that there there's underlying problems in the core development. So will that eventually catch up um, to the, all of the innovation that's happening on top? And will you know Bitcoin continue to be a good platform to, to develop on if there's no um development being done at the core i guess is kind of the question uh that we're asking yourselves what i thought was also interesting is one thing peter todd said on reddit uh, and so his point was that the problem is not that people aren't uh, working enough on bitcoin or there's not enough resources on bitcoin but it's that we simply don't know a lot of like how to do things because like the science isn't there so you know for example one thing we talked about with Mike Hearn as well was uh, transaction fees and I kind of think we both agreed and a lot of people agree that there's something needs to change there but how exactly that can be done is, is kind of unclear so a lot of the or, or another thing is the centralization of mining you know is obviously a problem but it's very unclear what the solution is 
So I think his point was that well, what's, what's actually missing is that the sort of science and like actually the knowledge of how to proceed. I saw in another conversation on Reddit that Gavin Andreessen actually blamed Peter Todd for the lack of development because he keeps. Uh, I think he also criticizes the developers a lot. So it's, it's not entirely clear what the problem is, but it's quite clear that if you look at the whole Bitcoin ecosystem, all that money flowing into companies, there's actually very little happening or, you know, very little of that money is going into Bitcoin development itself. Well, I guess that just goes to show that, uh, you know, the internal conflicts, which she talks about, uh, are actually there because if these guys are kind of going off on, on Reddit. I mean, I mean, even if you looked at the uh, antagonism against Mike Hearn on Reddit, it was very strong too. There's people, you know, some people are being very negative about him. Uh, people are, uh, so, so this, that's definitely there. There's no question. I, I wasn't aware, uh, of what Mike Hearn said, which was that this was the reason why uh, some of the Bitcoin developers, uh, and in his view, like everyone except Gavin and Dreesen, uh, aren't actually working on important things. Because even if even small things, but important things, create a huge controversy. So yeah, it's uh, interesting, worrying certainly, and um, yeah, well, hopefully this will. Perhaps uh, his own project, Lighthouse, will be a solution to this. I don't know. Yeah, so if you haven't listened to it, uh, check it out. It's on our SoundCloud uh, page. You'll see it there, episode 25 with Mike Hearn. Before we kind of move on, uh, I want to briefly talk about a documentary, which is called Bitcoin, The End of Money as We Know It. And they are running a Kickstarter campaign. And uh, I've talked with the guy who's... Doing the documentary, his name is uh, Torsten Hoffman, and uh, he's a German but living in Australia. And they're now running this uh, doc- doc- Kickstarter campaign. It runs until uh, July twelfth. Now the documentary is meant for sort of a general audience to introduce them to Bitcoin. He does a lot of interviews with uh, kind of well-known Bitcoin people like you know Andreas Antonopoulos, Roger Ver, Nicholas Carey and others and you know after talking to him i think it looks like a great project what's also cool is that some of the interviews he did uh, at least two of them are available in sort of the raw footage on youtube and the one i really liked was with matt miller i'm sure many of you uh, know matt miller he's that bald guy from bloomberg who you know he lived on bitcoin for a, a week purely and he's been covering bitcoin for bloomberg and he's been doing a, a really great job and so he talks to him, like, how did that happen? How did he get into Bitcoin? And like, how has been his interaction with Bitcoin community? It's a really great interview. Um, so, yeah, I think, uh, you know, check that out. Uh, it looks like a great project. If you want to support it, there's a few different options. Uh, you can basically get the basic reward uh, the $20 reward is uh, just to get the movie. You know, you get a streaming link and bonus material and things like that. Well, what's kind of funny, though, is if you get a higher reward, there's, for example, with the $85 reward, you can become a trillionaire. <laughs> so um, what that means is they give you banknotes. And they have like a, one from ex-Yugoslavia with Nikola Tesla on it. And then a Zimbabwean $10 trillion banknote you can get. So I guess it sort of um, 
is a reference to the deflationary aspect of Bitcoin. They have these banknotes of superinflationary currencies that you get as a reward if you kind of give a bigger uh, support for the project. That's really funny. <laughs> It is, it is pretty funny. I, I mean, I, the Tesla thing is cool, no? Because Nikola Tesla himself is such a you know iconic figure, and uh, of course they have a ten trillion dollar banknote. It's kind of insane. Uh, yeah, if you want to check that out, just Google Bitcoin end of money and Kickstarter, or alternatively, the link will be in our show notes, so you can find it like that. Uh, it's going on till July twelfth. And then the funding is mostly there. I think also the movie has been mostly shot. Uh, so there's is not one of those Kickstarters, at least I think it's not, where you know you sort of have to worry whether it actually gets finished. So I think this this will happen, and it's going to come out pretty soon. I think at the end of the year. So I just want to take a minute to talk about Coin Summit. As you guys know, we will be at Coin Summit. Uh, it's coming up real quick, July 10th and 11th. We'll be doing some interviews there and uh, listening to some talks and also producing content around the, that conference. So if you uh, want to go to Coin Summit, you can request an invite at coinsum.it. Yeah, and also let us know if you're there. Uh, you know, we can meet up. So you, you can uh, meet meet uh, your favorite podcast hosts. <laughs> uh, so uh, just very briefly before we get started with the main content, Bitcoin Decentral is uh, one of uh, quite a few Bitcoin centers in the world. I've seen a few now. I've seen you know, the New York one and, and some others. And I think uh, Bitcoin Decentral, or they're actually changing, changing the name to Decentral in Toronto, is by you know the most impressive, ambitious. Uh, project that there is in this space. It's a big house, um, four-floor house, I think like 500 square meters or something in a, a prime area in Toronto. They have meet up there, co-working space, accelerator. And so I, I was visiting Toronto kind of on my way to a wedding in Chicago because I wanted to see Bitcoin uh, Decentral. And I met I met up with the guys there and, and then interview with the guys um, or some of the guys there. And uh, the guys that are in this conversation are Anthony Diorio. He's the founder of Bitcoin Decentral. He's also founder of Ethereum. Uh, he's an executive director of Bitcoin Alliance of Canada. And he's also founder of the Toronto Bitcoin Meetup. Uh, the other guy is Arthur Corey. He's the managing director of Decentral Accelerate, which is their incubator. Or accelerator. Then there's Ethan Wilding. He was a former philosophy professor and now he's sort of the resident philosopher there, works on all kinds of things and also involved in Ethereum. And then there's Michael Perklin, who's a Bitcoin consultant, a director of Bitcoin Alliance in Canada and the founder of a cryptocurrency certification consortium. Like all, all those guys will, you know, talk in in the interview and will introduce themselves as well, talk more about the project. Uh, the main focus was sort of the accelerator and the project, or their goal to incubate and accelerate a lot of uh, startups in Toronto, especially startups that focus on decentralized application and those kind of Bitcoin 2.0 protocols. So enjoy that. Hi, so I'm here in Toronto visiting Bitcoin Decentral. I'm very excited to be here. I've heard a lot about Bitcoin Decentral. And uh, since I'm working on setting up something similar in Berlin, I was you know, extremely excited to visit these guys. And I'm sitting here with uh, Anthony Diorio, who uh, started the center, and uh, with his whole team. So perhaps uh, 
to start this podcast, we can go around and uh, have all you guys introduce yourselves. So do you want to start off, Anthony? Sure. I'm, I'm Anthony Duro, and uh, we opened this building on January 1st. And I do the Toronto Bitcoin Meetup Groups. Well, a bunch of us that work on it now. We do it every week. Uh, I work with the Bitcoin Alliance of Canada. I work with Ethereum, CryptoKit, Decentral. Yeah. And this is, uh, I'm Arthur Corey. I'm the managing director here at, at Decentral. And uh, I came to one of Anthony's meetups. And uh, then I couldn't help but devote my life to this, to this amazing emerging space. So in the building, we're, we're setting up an accelerator uh, supported by a venture fund. And that's fueled by a, a co-working um, uh, ecosystem and all events and all, all kinds of community things we're working on. Uh, my name is Michael Perkland. I um, I'm, uh, I'm also um, here with uh, with the Decentral crew. Um, I uh, I wear a lot of hats in the Bitcoin space. Uh, I, I work alongside Anthony with the Bitcoin Alliance of Canada. Um, I also work alongside him with uh, C4, the cryptocurrency certification consortium, and um, I have my own uh, company that's based out of this building, Decentral. Uh, Bitcoin Sultans. Uh, we are a Bitcoin security uh, consulting firm. Um, all of these these hats are, uh, are 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 fun to take on and off. I'm working here at, at this space with uh, all these uh, bright individuals. Uh, my name is Ethan Wilding. I used to teach philosophy at Wilfrid Laurier University and University of Waterloo, and I became uh, obsessed with Bitcoin and realized I, I want to just immerse myself in the space. And now I work uh, here at uh, Bitcoin Central. So perhaps we can get started off by talking about you know the project you guys are all involved in, which is Bitcoin Central. So uh, how did you guys get started? Uh, so uh, from doing the meetups for a couple of years in Toronto, uh, having a space of our own was always something that uh, I had my eye on because doing them up, doing meetups at bars or doing them at louder places, there's always the it's not the ideal setting to have presentations. To get a dedicated space in Toronto is, is very difficult. Uh, but I had to have my eye on a location where we could do the meetups, where we could do a co-working space and eventually an accelerator program. Just a place where people in the space can get together and ideas can flow. And uh, I realized I was hanging out at coffee shops previously with, with you know four or five people in the Bitcoin space. It was really exciting. And I figured a whole building where we can get people just immersed in this amazing technology that's Bitcoin, decentralized applications and um, blockchain technology and have a building where all this can come together, something that, that I'd wanted to do for a while. And it finally came, uh, and I was able to do it uh, earlier this year. And uh, when did you get started with the meetup? So you said a couple of years. Yeah, 2012. Uh, near the end of 2000, actually no, just uh, in the fall 2012. Okay. Yeah, yeah. and we, we do every week now, every Wednesday, Bitcoin Wednesdays in Toronto. Um, I think consistency is really important, so people know without even having to visit the meetup groups or anything, they know that every Wednesday they can come down here at seven o'clock and you know, be with other people that are involved in the space. And we're doing a lot more, or the plan is to do a lot more presentations. We're doing Skype call-ins now for people in the space. Uh, we had Tatiana Moreau on yesterday talking about Tatiana coin. Um, and we, get, we usually get really good turnout every week. So I, I encourage people to do meetups just to try to be really consistent with them and try to do them as frequently as possible, even if you're getting five, 10 people out to them. Um, yeah, so that that's where the space came about was from the meetups and then wanting to have a whole building dedicated to Bitcoin and, and decentralization and blockchain technology. 
Did you have the accelerator in mind at the very beginning when you started the space? Uh, yeah. We wanted to have, it wasn't just to be a co-working space. The plan was to have an accelerator program. I didn't know much about them. I mean, I knew about, I knew about um, uh, incubator spaces, but accelerators, which are you know, fast-paced, shorter-term periods, uh, um, sets of deliverables that, that people then graduate from after, say, a three-month period. So uh, this is where Arthur came to one of the meetups, and he had run the first... Uh, Actually, I'll let you talk a little bit more about what you've done in space. Sure. I came from the West Coast. I came from Vancouver, uh, British Columbia, and that is a short plane trip from San Francisco. So Vancouver had a really interesting uh, ecosystem that was a little bit ahead of Toronto, even though it was smaller. And so I had a taste of that. And then when I came to Toronto, um, I realized that that just wasn't happening here yet. Of the, you're talking about the accelerator ecosystem. Yeah, startup ecosystems right. and how startups connect with uh, investors to find financing to grow their companies and that's really what an accelerator does so I started the first here in town and uh, um, because of its success and the model that I created around that which was actually um, supported by government money after about two years uh, I found that it was a, a successful business on its own but it wasn't really scalable as was and I wanted to go on and do something bigger and luckily I, I, I saw uh, Anthony's vision and was able to plug in to that at the right time because uh, the decentralized sector, the decentralized app sector is now seeing uh, more investment than uh, any other particular tech sector and the interest around it is global and, f and phenomenal so we're we're getting in touch and, and you know being contacted by some of the thought leaders around the world. Uh, our network is just fascinating, and we're talking to amazing people every day. And we're seeing we're seeing real invention happen. You, you said it's more investment in the decentralized application than uh, any. Uh, not, not actually investment happening as of yet, but I would say interest. Interest. The yeah. buzz around it is definitely and around Bitcoin space. and, and yeah. is more than anything else. That you, then you're seeing the, the some of the newest funds popping up in the valley are related to Bitcoin. It's it's interesting too that you guys are focusing on the decentralized uh, application side of it because I, I've also talked with, for example, the plug and play people, and uh, that's not their focus, right? Their focus is, oh, I mean, also more like the wallets, this kind of infrastructure side. The, the vision that we had was to not make it anything to do actually with Bitcoin, to focus on decentralized applications. But I think we're also going to look at, you know, things in the Bitcoin space that do stand out. But for us, it's about decentral decentralization. In fact, we're changing the name and we've already changed the name to Decentral. It's not going to be Bitcoin Decentral anymore. Uh, the space will be Decentral. And that's a brand that we're going to go with. Um, but it'll still have oh, close yeah. ties to Bitcoin as well. Yeah. But um, I think just being and focusing on decentralized applications, you know, it, 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 it's a little more appealing to investors, I think, to, to give them the vision of not just the Bitcoin space, but saying, hey, there's this technology, this blockchain technology, uh, this consensus open transparent system, and you can say, you know, it's like what, what Bitcoin has done, but it's going to be so much more than that. So when as soon as you start talking a lot about Bitcoin, some people they don't they like they already they can dismiss it, but I think it's the technology, the underlying technology, which is what can get people's attention with, and that's what we think is exciting. That's where we think uh, there will be um, it'll be so much more than the Bitcoin space. Uh, and can you talk a bit about the progress with the fund? Like, um, when are you getting started? Or uh, 
the I know the first batch is not here yet, but you told me you've already uh, found the companies. Yeah, yeah, we have a full cohort chosen uh, because of the legal aspects. You know, we're being very careful in, in structuring the fund, and we're going to some very senior and experienced advisors. We're talking to people from around the world on, on what best way to approach this would be. Will be accepting a mix of uh, fiat money and uh, Bitcoin from investors originally in the fund. That's the plan. That's the plan. But it's it's really interesting. You have to sometimes get the chicken and the egg syndrome where you have. Well, this is how we want to do the plan, but do the investors want the plan set up like that? So sometimes you want to reach out to the investors, but you don't know who's actually committed, and you want to tailor your plan over to the way the investors are, depending if you're going after institutional investors or going after high net worth individuals. That's right. So both of us not even being involved in the finance sector or, or not even managing or having a fund before, because Arthur, uh, his accelerated program was not a fund-based, it was just direct investing. That's right. We, our intention was to make it fund-based, but with the Canadian landscape, we were given government money that we couldn't, it was just a fantastic gift. We took it and we built a portfolio of 18 companies. And But uh, this, what we're doing here is really kind of, it's the model that came out of the States. It's that venture capital, you know, private entrepreneurial model. And uh, are you investors mostly Canadian or from overseas? Well, you're probably now looking at, at just doing it in Canada, but it's still on the table. There's a lot of yeah. a lot of decisions being made, a lot of to deal with what the investors want, uh, with regulations in different areas, with cost. Once you start doing a global fund, and you start saying we want European investors, American investors setting up you know limited partnerships in those countries and compliance, it, it gets really expensive. So. Um, we're still we're still investigating it, but what I think we, we have decided is that we'll be working with a finance team um, to fit to, to plug some holes that, that our Arthur and I don't have in that sector that are going to help us to um, investigate the funding, get the term sheets developed. So it looks like we'll be forming a partnership with some other individuals, um, which are going to help us at, at that end. You can imagine the complexity working in in this space where. Um, you know, there's an association whether or not we take any companies in that do actually have what would be defined as cryptocurrencies. We are working in a decentralized app space, so we want to make sure that our investors are protected no matter what happens to the regulatory environment around the fund. Yeah. And uh, you, you mentioned you're taking fiat and Bitcoin. Is, is one of the reasons that some investors are only allowed to put in fiat? I think ideally we'd like to have both accepted, but it really is going to come down to the investors and the, and the individuals that we decide to work with. We could come down to foreign institutional investors that might not have Bitcoin. They might only have fiat. They may yeah. not want to deal with fiat. So it's it, we're not exactly sure, but I think we would like to be in the space where we are accepting Bitcoin as well, but who knows how it will turn out. And, and perhaps we, what about the startup side? So we've talked a bit on investor side, are the startups going to be primarily from Canada or are you also trying to attract American, maybe European startups even to relocate here? Yeah, so uh, we would like to be global and we've done, I'm not sure how many interviews we've done yet, but we've had about 40 or so applications and we've interviewed 15. Yeah, and they're surprisingly spaced out. Uh, yeah, we've had guys exchanges for study yeah. up in Mexico. We've had guys from all yeah all, all over the world. People have applied, and what we do is we form a panel, and we have you know as many people as possible as we can on this panel, giving advice to the teams and um, seeing if they're at the proper stage uh, to come into the program. And we definitely have some teams selected that we would like to take part. 
Uh, it's a matter of now structuring the fund, getting the investors, um, and you know we are we are hopeful within a month, month and a half that we can have some the first cohort teams working as the space is ready for them to be here. This where our goal is to really just be launching decentralized app startups out of this space, like like from nine to possibly more at a time. Yeah. So you can imagine the effect that's going to have on on the city and, and the world if there are that many of these type of uh, disruptive companies being being uh, created. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, is it, I don't know how it's in Canada, but is it easy to get companies, maybe to get visas for people who want to relocate here? And We've looked into it. Yeah, we've seen that most of the accelerator programs, they kind of focus on the country that they're, that they're in. But we've done some research. We have in-house legal counsel. We've done some research, and we've seen that you know it's not. We don't think it's going to be an issue to get the visas for three months programs. I think one of the main things is they need to have a company already established in their country. Yeah, um, and there are some things to do. But we've looked at it, and we think that we're confident that we can open it up to global market. And then you know we also have plans to franchise the model that we're doing in the future as well. Um, and we we have a a mentorship base right now already of over 100 people which we have want to continuously uh, increase. So right now we have a lot of the, thought, the top thought leaders in the Bitcoin space as well, a lot of people that aren't in the Bitcoin space that offer you know, different aspects um, of their professions that they can contribute to the teams that are coming in. And we, you know, I've got a thousand mentors in my mind that I'd like to have to support five or more franchised uh, locations around the world. Yeah, no, I think that would be uh, very exciting. I think, um, sh like, for example, I've, I've been looking, you know, I've also been talking a few about this, uh, looking if there's something possible I can do in Europe. And uh, I, I know this, uh, so far, I guess all the funds are in the US. I guess you you guys will be the first one. Uh, well, there's I've, actually one in Australia that's just there's one in Australia? Yeah, there's actually a large one that started up in Australia. Um, and there have been tons of interest. I've, I've probably had 10 to 15 different countries and even multiple from different countries that have approached me to say, hey, once you get this off the ground, I'd love to do a, a similar setup because I believe the space for the centrals here, it's, it's a, um, it, it's, it was a carefully planned model of meetups, getting people together, getting them excited, getting them in the co-working space, fun, getting teams formed, reaching out to entrepreneur communities, reaching out to developer communities, getting them excited about the space, hopefully get them all together to start forming companies, putting them up in the accelerator program, pushing them out, hopefully to put them in front of investors, give them the mentorship that they need. So it's a whole you know, process with Decentral here, and I hope that people can say, hey, here's a turnkey package that I can use uh, in my uh, city. Are you guys agnostic regarding the protocol? Because you know people are building on all kinds of different, you know, put a counterparty or Ethereum or Next. I know, I know you were involved in Ethereum as yeah, well. Yeah, both Ethan and I are. You as well. Okay. Yeah, I we're agnostic here in, in Decentral. Yeah, we don't. I I don't want to tie ourselves down to any one particular platform. I think there's different platforms that do certain needs. Like for example, we had Tatiana uh, discussing yesterday why she selected Counterparty instead of using Mastercoin for her coin she put out. So there's yeah. going to be ones that work, um, some that offer certain features that, that other ones don't. So I think it's important to be agnostic in the space and go with whatever works at the time. And are you interested mainly in developing on the applications that are being developed on top of those or also perhaps in the development of such protocols themselves? Well, I think I think both, but I think our focus will be on the applications on top of the mm -hmm. platforms. What's great about this space, um, uh, Decentral, is that uh, really any startups or any companies can uh, can work uh, at this space, and you have instant access to people who are doing 
uh, exciting things in this space, whether it's uh, employees of Ethereum who are working out of here or employees of um, uh, really anything. I mean, uh, uh, my company, Bitcoin Consultants, uh, when we got started out of this space, uh, it was great to have a desk available. It was great to have um, these resources available, and it really helped launch uh, launch my company. And uh, the fact that uh, as Anthony mentioned, it's completely agnostic, uh, regardless of what decentralized technology you're working on um, or working with, as long as you have uh, a, a place to, to get that work done and to tap into the, to the minds who are making great waves in this uh, in this industry, it's uh, it's excellent to have. And when you're passionate about this, you're attracting other people, depending on whatever field they're working in. And then they all seem to come in and get excited about you know, decentralized space. And the Bitcoin ATM brings in a lot of interesting interesting people too. Yeah, yeah that's but, been successful. Yeah. <laughs> been good. We had the first Bitcoin ATM in Toronto, uh, the first one made by the Ottawa company, BitAxis. Yeah. yeah. So Made in Canada. Made in Canada. That's right. And uh, yeah, it's been it's been good. And that across people as well, and then they're learning about Bitcoin. We we, one of our great tools is Why Bitcoin Magazine as well, which yeah. uh, is an amazing place for people to learn about Bitcoin. So we're handing those out a lot, getting people their first wallets, giving them a magazine to learn a lot about Bitcoin. Can you, t uh, can you talk at all about the companies that are going to be part of the first cohort? Or is that um... We can't uh, say specifics as of yet because we haven't officially, officially uh, invested yeah. in them. But, uh, I can say that they're. Uh, we've got our eyes working. on a few. Of them. Yeah, some are working. Are they're targeting the Ethereum platform? Others are. are um, uh, we 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 have some. Yeah. What else can we say about them? But it's, it's about us getting the fund structured and being able to offer them something, and and hopefully they're around still by the time we're ready to do that. So yeah. we definitely have our eyes on some, but I mean the best ones are going to be. The thing that surprised me most is that they are really creating things that are uh, real world related. They're actually um, like one of them has a hardware component that will be, uh, you know, it's going to be out there and it's a real world. It's not, this is not just an online business. And yeah. It's related to the blockchain, which is very cool. Yeah, that is cool. Yeah. yeah. And uh, can you talk about the font size? Or like how are you? Yeah, well, we've got two options. Either we're going to go big and that's going to be. So our, our initial plan was to have a fund and have an accelerator program that does two things. It actually invests in companies and invests in the currencies and the token systems associated with the decentralized application companies coming through our, our, our program. So we thought that, that was a great hybrid model um, and something that's never been seen before. So you have a traditional investment like Techstars or um, where they'll take a percentage of the company and invest in the companies. But then we're also seeing the model like um, um, the... Bit Angels Fund, yeah, which is David Johnson and Turpin and, and I think Brock Pierce is part of where they're they're investing in the token system. They're not really actually focused on the companies; they're investing in the token systems. So we thought it would be an excellent to kind of put the two things together. But now we are realizing that there are other issues to, to deal with when you have investors investing in currencies as well as the companies, and it adds another layer of complexity. So if if the ideal situation for us would be a fund um, somewhere around the $50 million mark where we could also invest in token systems and in the companies and then franchise and use a global fund to fund the franchises and use the mentor network to mentor the global the franchises. However, uh, if we decide to just focus on Toronto and get it off the ground, we're probably looking at maybe a $5 million fund and just focusing on the, the cohorts and the teams out of here. Can you talk a bit about those complexities if you invest in both the company and the currency? 
Yeah, well, some investors won't necessarily want to invest in the token system, but they'll invest in the companies involved with the centralized applications. So it might be a matter of us splitting the fund in two and having a separate fund. For because some investors system. have preferences. Yeah, and then it comes down to tax, it comes down to their tax situations. Um, it's really, it's not as easy as, <coughs> as we thought. And you'll have, you might have four different investors that have different needs and have, have want you to structure the fund in certain ways to, to, to so it's better on their, on their, their taxes. It's, it's, it's quite complex. So the easiest pass for us might, might be for right now to come up with a traditional model, one that's proven, uh, get it structured and go with that and then maybe introduce a second fund for the token system. Because I believe we are in a position here that we have the knowledge of the space. We have the knowledge of what seems to be coming out in, in the next uh, generation uh, decentralized application space where we could probably make pretty good decisions on the currencies and to on the token systems that people want to get into it, but they don't know where to put it and we could offer the guidance. And it's, as Bitcoin was, these of course these these tokens will be uh, you know very high return uh, investment. That would it's different than startup equity, which is uh, startup equity is normally a, a safe investment now with with accelerators. You'll see uh, uh, good accelerators creating a return of about ten times in five years. Yeah, and the token and, systems offer yeah. another another way to to um, you know offer value to the investors. It's an expert. It's a, it's it's a fund that needs expert management. Yeah. So I guess we have to, if you if you are focused on investing in the companies, though, then like, does that limit? Uh, for example, can they still do open source software, or will then the risk be too big that somebody just that's a good question. Close yeah. it and that's uh, a very it's a very good question and something I'm struggling with um, uh, with my with my one of my companies, CryptoKit is. There's people coming out and working on in collaborations on op on open uh, source software projects, which is great and it's going to help the community. But there also um, has to be ways to monetize certain technology too. So I think it's a um, we're probably bringing in companies that do offer either a team that is a phenomenal team and has some type of competitive edge or some type of um, uh, technology proprietary technology. But I mean, how do we invest in, in open source companies? It's a tricky thing. It's, it's, it's really difficult. In part, we're supporting it at the earliest stages with the co-working space and the environment, and then also opening up, you know, opening up our mentor community slightly to, to select companies that we want to help out before they even come into the accelerator and um, just making connections with investors as mentors. So. It did, because there's the the stage before everything else where the protocols you mentioned, you know, and investing in protocols who supports the uh, the growth of the of the protocols before even um, apps are built on on top of of platforms, right? So yeah. it's, a, it's a whole all these stages somehow need to need to have support, and right now the very earliest grassroots stages are pretty much. Uh, volunteer. Right? Yeah, and we are supporting it by what we're doing. Yeah, I mean, just the community event that that we're all involved in, um, supporting the the space. But I mean, we're in this to make money too. It's, there's no doubt about that. <coughs> um, yeah, it's it's very interesting. I, I was talking to uh, you know Mike Hearn earlier, and and I guess he's thinking of some of these same issues like how do you monetize open source and I guess that with his like, crowdfunding platform that is exactly 
or he's trying to tackle that challenge. I don't know if this is necessarily a model that is profitable. It's more like a model that maybe gets funded the things that a lot of people want to get done, but there's just no way to monetize them. But I think what's really fascinating with something like, let's say, Ethereum, is how you can um, make open source software and open source protocols and maybe still monetize them if you have you know, its own currency. Right. So um, I guess we'll see how that works out. No, That's an opportunity that you know we're trying to we're trying to figure out how to capitalize on best that other accelerators don't and 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 funds really don't don't have yet as of yet. And it really has this kind of uh, this opportunity that you take maybe whether it's like a public good or something like that and you turn it into something you can actually invest in. And that's I think that is amazing. What's unique about it is that um, traditionally, when, when people would invest in uh, in, in open source, uh, they would they, they would offer services that go alongside uh, open source. Uh, Red Hat follows that model, and, and there's examples. Uh, the, um, the Mozilla Foundation follows that model as well, where uh, they open source the product, but they charge for the services and helping people integrate it in their systems. Right. With Ethereum, it, um, there's the open source platform, but there's also the token system which fuels the platform. So it's it doesn't fit into the same, um, I guess, traditional open source model that uh, that came before it. It is still open source, but it's uh, a completely different spin. Uh, and It'll be interesting to watch to see how it uh, how it develops over time. I mean, it's much more direct, you know. And I guess if you look at uh, even Red Hat and Linux, even if Red Hat's like a very successful company, if you look at how popular Linux is, then Red Hat is not that big, you know, if you compare it to like Google or Apple or Microsoft. Mm-hmm. So I think there's uh, there's a lot more potential with something like that Ethereum. Absolutely. We can still monetize on the decentralized applications as well. You don't have to make those open source, per se. Um, yeah, but then it's who's monetizing on that. I mean, it's a struggle that we've had with Ethereum. Um, is you know, the for-profit, non-profit entity. And it's, we've gone back and forth with different approaches. And, and you know, do we want to be the ones that are that are that are deciding and and char- charging for the applications? Are we do we want to be the ones developing? Are we going to focus on the platform? And it looks like we're just going to focus on the platform. Yeah, it looks like we are not going to um, have an arm that's going to be actually doing any for-profit work. Um, but that's still still being worked out right now. But it, it is a debate within our team. Um, but it looks like our focus will be on getting this product out and getting this open source platform out and let other people. Um, you know, be developing the, the products that are built on top of it. And then the Ethereum model will be the currency, you know, Ether, and the expectation that that will gain a value as people build applications, no? Um, the value proposition, you know, we're, we're putting out the fuel that runs it. Uh, it needs to, you need Ether in order to run the system. Um, I'm not sure where the value proposition on Ether will actually go. Like, that's not something that we are focusing on. It's about this is what's needed to run the platform. Um, we're selling a product of Ether. We're selling it for for Bitcoin, which is which is what our plan is. Um, so we're trying to distinguish this between a token system and make it clear that this actually is a product. It's not a currency. It's not an investment vehicle. Ether is a product. It's not a currency. Yeah, we consider it fuel. We consider it something that runs our network. 
Okay, it's not something that you're going to be using to buy and sell goods with. Yeah, I understand that. It's like gas. Yeah. Right, and you need gas in order to run your car. You need fuel. You need ether in order to run the platform. In order to decentralize applications, any computations will need ether in order to run. So that's where I see the value of ether is it is required, just like Bitcoin is required to run to run the platform. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, no, that makes uh, total sense. In one allegory, I guess, is that uh, with Bitcoin, the value of Bitcoin, or, uh, or I guess the perceived value of Bitcoin goes up the more you're able to use that token for goods and services. Whereas with Ether, uh, the more decentralized applications that uh, that are written and, and that exist for, for people to, to run on their own, now the more valuable that fuel is because you can do yeah. so much more with it. Exactly, the more demand there will be for the fuel as well, right? Well, uh, perhaps we can talk about the Bitcoin Alliance of Canada as well a bit. Um, I know this is it's a bit like a foundation as far as I understand it, but what's interesting, what I've heard of it, but perhaps you guys can go into detail, is that you're trying to do this very decentralized and uh, sort of quote-unquote democratic. I don't know if that's the right term. That's right. The, um, the Bitcoin Lights of Canada is a non-profit organization uh, dedicated to promoting and educating uh, the Canadian public about Bitcoin in Canada. Um, it was formed with a, a, a very, uh, um, I guess, uh, interesting take on on, um, on on choosing the first set of uh, directors. Um, Anthony, maybe you want to uh, talk about that. It, uh, unlike what other people uh, or what other organizations are doing, where uh, they just sort of appointed themselves when they were born, the alliance uh, took a different approach. So the I, I very closely studied when the foundation was formed and what I realized by listening to the community was that there were a lot of international people that were not really happy with the way the foundation was formed. Um, it was basically a group that decided who they were and announced themselves, they announced their sponsorship, they announced the people. And it really didn't have the involvement of the rest of the Bitcoin community, yet they were intending to represent the international Bitcoin community. And a lot of people really saw them as a group of Americans um, deciding what's best for Bitcoin. When you don't have the um, support of a large majority of the, the community, you're, you're in trouble from the beginning. And that's what I saw with the foundation. And when I looked at starting something in Canada, um, I learned from what the foundation did. And my whole thing was to get the mass support of the community. You want to get 90%. That's the number that I use. You want to get 90% of people believing in what you're doing. And in order to do that, uh, we made uh, press releases and put them out nationally to let people know, hey, this is the idea that we're coming up with, a Canadian organization that can represent Bitcoin in the media, that can represent Bitcoin and get merchants accepting it, that can represent Bitcoin and regulators and um, uh, banks and just get people informed about Bitcoin. So uh, we put multiple press releases out to let the community know that this is our intention and that anybody that wanted to participate was able to participate in the formation of the initial board of directors. And we had two groups. We had a voting group and we had an elect the actual people applying to be on the board. The candidates. The candidates. And you couldn't be both. It was one or the other. So you ended, we ended up with... with you couldn't be both. No. If you were voting on who was going to be a board of director, you could not be applying for the board position as well. So that was to prevent that you vote for yourself? Or exactly. Or... And, and, and I myself applied for positions like everybody else did on the director. And we ended up with 15 people that formed the voting committee. And we ended up with about 12 or so people that wanted to be on the board. The election team selected the eight board eight board members. Initially, there was eight. Yes. Initially, the eight board members. The voting committee then disbanded, and the the 
board members took over. So this basically was an inclusive way of doing things where there were multiple national presses put out that gave people months to say, hey, this is what's happening. If you want participation, uh, contact us, let us know you're interested in, in, in one of the proceedings, like either being on the board or, or being involved. I spoke with hundreds of people uh, from these press releases. And, and, and then we selected a team that was representative of the community where afterwards, no one can come back and say, hey, you know, I didn't know about this, or you know, how did you select yourself? Well, this is the process that we use. It's open, it was transparent, we believe it was fair, and now this group of, of eight was selected to continue forward and represent the community. Um, we've got legal counsel, we have accountants, a couple of accountants that work for us. We just put on uh, the Bitcoin Expo uh, in Toronto earlier this year. Um, it's a volunteer effort. Nobody makes money on this, none of the directors make any money. Uh, the expo was a complete non-profit event. 100% proceeds were put back to the community. Um, nobody was paid. It was a complete volunteer effort. Um, so we're doing this because we believe this is the community side of what we do, what Michael and I do and the other board and the other members of the Alliance do. Um, and it's, you know, it's, I, think, I think we're respected for the way that we've done things. And I just wish we had more time to, to do more efforts uh, in, the, in the national Bitcoin space. No, I think that's uh, that sounds great. I mean, you know, there's been, you know, Germany has also been the foundation started, etc. And I think mostly people have gone the other way also because it's easier, right? And uh, well, there's a few reasons why you do it because it's easier, and also because there's just not the community out there yet, and it needs a couple yeah. of people to spearhead the program. One way might be better than the other, um, but it's good that people can see there are different models and they can choose which best works for them when they're setting something up. And I remember the first time that I, uh, I heard about the alliance. It was one of the um, uh, one of the meet meetups here in Toronto uh, before Decentral existed. Um, and uh, Anthony, uh, you 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 approached me and told me about it. And I remember the first thing that I thought was, "Oh, uh, of course, someone's making uh, another group to to combat uh, the foundation." Uh, that's, how many groups are there going to be all jockeying to do the same thing? Um, but uh, in in that in that bar over over that uh, that one beer when we were talking about it. Um, the vision was completely different, and uh, it, it really resonated with me. On the one hand, the foundation, they're, uh, they've put themselves in charge of the code, of the protocol, and of, uh, of the Bitcoin technology that uh, everyone uses worldwide. Um, but the Bitcoin Alliance of Canada, uh, the vision that, that Anthony sh uh, shared with me when he, he first told me about it was, um, it's it's an an educating group. It's a it's a networking group that that helps any Canadian learn about Bitcoin and find different people who are doing different things in the Bitcoin space. Uh, oh, are are you a merchant looking to accept Bitcoin? Hey, talk to that that member of the alliance. Oh, are are you a developer? You you want more resources to learn how to do it? Well, you can talk to this guy and uh, this sort of this sort of net alliance of uh, of Bitcoin contacts across Canada. Um, it it strengthens. Uh, Bitcoin in Canada and, and it acts as an outreach and that's a, a much different goal than what the foundation had so very quickly my initial um, uh, hesitation of starting yet another group uh, was was quickly washed away once I understood it was two completely separate goals. Are you guys also focused on uh, lobby work and uh, regulation here? Um, yes and no we don't actively go out to lobby uh, however, we, we have um, been engaged in conversations with members of provincial parliament, with the Ontario Securities Commission, and now the, the, uh, the, the uh, British Columbia Securities Commission. Um, because we are a network, networking group of Bitcoin professionals across Canada, uh, we are an, 
I guess a, a natural magnet for for people who are looking for more information. So there have been um, uh, members of Parliament reaching out to us. There have been regulatory bodies reaching out to us just to learn more about it. And um, it's a lot. Like I think we'll have some disagreement within our board, but I'd like to see it as not as a lobby group, as an information providing group. When people are looking for information where they're providing, if they're not ready for it, that's fine. Um, we're not, I'm not here personally to push anything on anybody, just provide the information. And I think the merits of Bitcoin and this technology uh, sell itself. And I think that's uh, absolutely required, you know, especially with a technology so new as Bitcoin, uh, where uh, the media says, oh, you know, it's being used to buy drugs and, it's, uh, and hackers are, are using it and stealing money. Uh, whereas the actual technology itself has nothing to do with you know, drugs or theft. It has, uh, it's an e easy way of sending payments over the internet. Um, so to have this uh, this inf information resource uh, available to to regulators to to learn what Bitcoin truly is and to separate the media hype from the reality, uh, I think is absolutely essential. But it's interesting that you guys are taking kind of also the way you phrase it and and that, you know a network uh, and you focus on the, the community and the connection because I, I think. Uh, you know that's different in other places, and it's interesting. I guess that also kind of represents. It represents a name alliance, which is interesting too. Alliance, that's very yeah. key in the name as well. That's why, you know, the alliance was chosen, and that's why the Global Bitcoin Alliance is, which is an, an organization now that's, um, you know, yeah, it's, a, it's a group of, of national organizations that have gathered together to share resources and best practices to help grow Bitcoin communities <coughs> worldwide. And that's, you know, the, the name is really important as well. And it's just a friendship that doesn't need contracts. It doesn't need just let's help everybody grow their Bitcoin communities and provide them with the tools that they need and information resources. And just uh, um, instead of, you know, be open and transparent, we do monthly meetings now with the Global Bitcoin Alliance. And, you know, I've met some great people that represent the Israeli Bitcoin Foundation, represent uh, representatives in Australia, representatives in Netherlands that have, that have built up these these communities and don't need uh, to have chapters really. Or it's just groups that let the national and local uh, levels take care of the tasks, but we just kind of are there to share what, what what has worked for us so that we can help grow the communities. Yeah, I think I don't know to what extent that's also a reflection of you guys' views on regulation because I know some people feel like. This is something that should be actively approached. You know, we should, we should try to help make Bitcoin friendly laws. As others think, like it's much more important that we just build Bitcoin and companies and infrastructure. And I guess afterwards, hopefully, you know, it will be at such a point that when the regulation comes, it has to be Bitcoin friendly because it's so far progressed. Every group has its own, you know, view on regulation and rules, and that's why with the Global Bitcoin Alliance, at least. We just want to share resources. That's it. We're not taking yeah. a position as a whole entity of this is what we want to do with regular. No, we're just here to let the local national groups do as they please. We support it and we share what's worked for us, but really we don't take positions on actually any hard position on anything. The Bitcoin Alliance of Canada is, is much the same. Um, I, I've, I've received emails from our members across Canada uh, who are, when, when they heard that um, we were talking to the OSC, they were very mad. And they, they say, you know, Bitcoin sh should not be regulated, should be, shouldn't be touched, the Alliance shouldn't be doing this. And I've received other um, emails. That's the Ontario Securities Exchange, our commission, yeah. Yes, uh, I've, I've received uh, other emails where, where people were, were very happy that we were spearheading the, this effort. And really, uh, 
we didn't do anything other than simply exist. It, uh, they reached out to us uh, for information. Um, so uh, I, it, I think it's, it's great that, um, that, that the Alliance is engaged in these uh, discussions, uh, but the Alliance itself doesn't have a for or an against position when it comes to regulation. We're just an, an, uh, an, a resource um, for, for anybody who needs to, to learn more about Bitcoin. Um, perhaps, Ethan, uh, let me ask you, uh, you came as a philosopher into Bitcoin, how did that happen? Well, I mean, there are a lot of philosophical issues, right, with decentralized technologies, and we've had ideas about how to reorganize governments and economies, but it hasn't been feasible until, ultimately, until Bitcoin. There have been a lot of previous attempts, though, and, yeah, I think the idea of being able to build... Um, I mean, more modern stuff with decentralized autonomous organizations, but ultimately, how do you take, uh, make a viable economy that doesn't rely upon central authority, like to control it, to print money, to ultimately, to take your, take you into war and using your money um, for such purposes. It ultimately gives control back to individuals, um, allows them to have bank accounts without um, getting approval from a central authority. Uh, I mean, the list goes on. Well, these are all matters yeah. like how we deal with like, humans and our own finances, or rather, how, yeah, how we deal with other individuals and conduct commerce. And uh, in the past, of course, we know for previous systems, uh, you've had to have had another organization or body or government to help dictate or control that or um, meet, tra meet out transactions to make sure they're valid. Even um, third parties. And third parties like Visa and PayPal. That's another thing. One of the things that really spurred me on quite some time ago with uh, in towards Bitcoin was uh, when WikiLeaks was per when Visa and Mastercard and PayPal stopped um, their transactions to WikiLeaks. And I thought, well, this is absurd, yeah. right? They haven't been convicted of a crime, right? they haven't been charged with a crime, and yet the, the U.S. government has um, come in and exerted political influence on these companies and prevented money that in other individuals intended to give to this corporate or give to WikiLeaks uh, legitimately. And uh, anytime you have like organizations exerting that sort of control, I think is a problem. Um, and I feel they, if we want to give, if I want to give money to them, I don't want to be restricted in that regard. And I don't. This is just touching the tip of the iceberg of it. And on the philosophical side, I mean, there it touches on almost every aspect of philosophy. So it's just inherently interesting to me. And that's why I did. Were, previous. were these issues of decentralization things you have been thinking about before you come to Bitcoin, or was it kind of that Bitcoin brought these up? And um, tangentially, because we didn't have like a viable way of looking at some of these problems in the past. Or, there have been certain attempts previously, I guess, that you come across and think, oh, that's really interesting and nice, but we don't know how to move forward on that. Yeah. And then reading, yeah. Reading articles here and there about it just started to spur the interest, and then more recently, a year, a bit more than a year ago, I got um, yeah a bit more obsessed and thinking that this is a much better solution to some of these problems, and started investigating it further. And that's where I find myself today. I mean, there's still it's a bit off of the top of what we're discussing at the moment, but there's um, yeah, that's how I got into it. So did you, you ended up quitting your job as a professor to? Yeah, I was a lecturer at uh, Boston uh -huh. School and Wilfrid Laurie at the time. And um, yeah, it's been a great switch. I think that it, academia moves quite slowly. For instance, I told, uh, sent out mails to the, or emails to this faculty of business and economics, 
uh, the universities and to say, hey, we've got a Bitcoin Expo coming up. You know, maybe you guys should attend this. Of course, you're professors of economics and stuff. This is in inherently within um, some of their domains. Should be. And it should be, right? <laughs> uh, and they just don't see it. They're very slow to move, and it's not the space I want to be in when it comes to to being part of what the developments that are taking place. So, yeah. So. I, I mean, I, I'm originally an economist. And uh, I it has I find it amazing how there's not more interest or research or thought by economists on Bitcoin and mm -hmm. it's I, it does not make sense to me. It's, it's typical book. though. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It'll, it'll change, but they all have their areas of expertise, and it's it's a tough. They're very to stuck in. They've learned something, and they have their expertise, and it kind of. Throws everything over, and then of course that's also hard to give that up. Right. So I think the way to get expertise now in this space is to immerse yourself in it, and you know, get information and knowledge, and uh, communicate with and members who are active in the Bitcoin or decentralized technology communities. Um, but you, you do get also you do get the we won't we'll paint them all with one brush. We do get a lot of uh, there are a lot of economists and people that are. That are yeah. into it too. Yeah, no, I, I think the, I, there's obviously exceptions. And yeah, that's think, uh, yeah. yeah, of course. Yeah. This um, this comparison has been made many times, uh, and I kind of love to make it one more time, but uh, we saw the same thing when the internet uh, started revolutionizing business in the late 80s and, and early 90s. Um, people who were stuck in their way of doing it, you know, with paper, uh, they, they didn't see a need for this new electronic way of doing the same thing. They didn't see the benefits. They didn't see the cost savings. And uh, I mean, looking back, it's uh, it, it's plain to see that it, it changed everything and it made it made everything uh, a lot better, a lot more advanced. We could do so much more with so much less. Uh, Bitcoin is going to do that. And while there are some people like those of us around this room who see that as, uh, as just an obvious uh, conclusion. Many people out there who either don't understand the technology as thoroughly as we do, or uh, haven't, um, I guess, thought it a, a step or two ahead to see well, what this could mean for, for the future, they would be resistant to that change because they don't see the benefits. But just like the internet changed the world in the, in the 90s, Bitcoin is changing the world with or without them. <laughs> That's right. So where do you see Perhaps kind of touching on that, where do you see the interest of uh, businesses in Canada or use in, in terms of uh, adoption by users? Uh, how is that developing? I, I think that um, it's been slow in terms of brick and mortar locations. Uh, at least it has in the Toronto area, I know Vancouver and out west, they have quite a bit uh, more acceptance with local uh, businesses. I think online uh, it's done fairly well. I think now, uh, I think. We're going to see more and more larger businesses accepting it. We're seeing that worldwide, but we're also going to see it, particularly in Canada. Uh, Tiger Direct, a large computer uh, online store. Uh, do they only do online, uh, or does their retail stores also accept Bitcoin? Not Good sure. question. I don't Good know. Question. Um, but I think we're going to see larger chains, larger stores accepting it, which will lead to more and more getting on board. But it is also up to the community builders. It's up to the uh, the organizations such as the Alliance, such as the Bitcoin Foundation, to um, get merchant adoption up. And I am seeing a lot more uh, response from the merchant uh, service providers, such as uh, BitPay, CA Vertex, who are making efforts to get merchants, um, and in particular uh, retail stores. 
or in particular brick and mortar locations accepting Bitcoin, get those Bitcoin signs on those doors, showing that they're accepting Bitcoin, and I think it will snowball. I think one of the biggest impacts that happened to Toronto is actually Anthony's ATM <coughs> because it got the regular community uh, aware of what was going on and just uh, everyone I talked to, you know, practically everyone knows the Bitcoin sign and that's and that's where it is. So having a physical storefront and having something a machine like an ATM that's actually easy with people to onboard people, I think is key in building Bitcoin communities and, and, and introducing people to uh, new technologies in general, hands on. Yeah, the press uh, went nuts for the ATM yeah. here in Toronto. Yeah. And the, the sign we have up front, because we are in probably one of the busiest corners of downtown Toronto. And the amount of visibility that that orange Bitcoin sign gets up on a daily basis um, is, is, is massive. I got to think, I, and I, I'm going to sit outside one day and count the cars and the eyes that are going by it. But I, I've got in my head about 100,000 people a day are passing by and seeing that sign. And there's traffic jams there, so they're stuck in front of that sign too, looking at it. Yeah. Going back to your question about um, the uh, the adoption, I uh, I don't see physical brick and mortar adoption of Bitcoin um, to be uh, really that material to to Bitcoin success. Uh, on the surface, as a payment system, you think, well, the more merchants that accept this payment, then the more successful that, that payment method is. But um, when you look at Bitcoin itself, it's it's a, it's, it's a protocol. It's uh, it's money over IP, just like email is a letter over IP. Um, when people are doing are, are are dealing in brick and mortar shops, uh, they're not necessarily set, uh, sending an email. If, if I have to communicate with you and I'm in the same room as you, uh, I'm not necessarily going to write you an email. I can just talk to you or I can jot something down on a piece of paper. The uh, the ad, the advantages of email are when you, when you're you're far apart from people when you're dealing with um, with, with companies uh, remotely and uh, when you apply that sort of thinking to Bitcoin the fact that you can buy a coffee with with Bitcoin isn't really that powerful the the real power of Bitcoin is when you can uh, settle your 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 invoice for your for your mobile phone uh, with zero fees, or when you're when you're sending money back home to your to your parents in a foreign country, again zero fees. Uh, w without Western Union taking a cut, without PayPal taking a cut, uh, those are the true powers of Bitcoin. Uh, so the fact that it's um, that mer uh, brick and mortar merchant adoption is, is a little bit slower, I don't see that being material to uh, to Bitcoin success. I, I disagree, but I think having brick and mortar is really valuable because a lot of the press or a lot of People that are accepting it brick and mortar, they can see it as press opportunities and I don't want to see those Bitcoin signs outside those windows that show we accept Bitcoin and people seeing that sign when they're walking by because those people might not online see what Bitcoin is or know it, but just seeing that orange Bitcoin be wherever you're going, out front of locations when you're walking around, I think is, 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 is amazing and can really help to speed things up. Yeah, I mean, I, I really agree too that that ATM and the press thing is, is really powerful. Like in Berlin, we've had uh, Room 77, you know, which is a bar part by your Plaza, which has been accepting Bitcoin now for over three years. And uh, I think that had, I think he calculated once that he's gotten about 100 million views through different media coverage or seen all it. over yeah. the news. And it's just something, you know, when a newspaper comes and they want to write about something, they can go somewhere, take a picture, there's like the same Bitcoin accepted here, sign, you, you can talk to someone, 
there was an ATM there too it's not there anymore but like you can take a picture like that is extremely powerful it's true yeah the reporters uh, that I've seen are learning about Bitcoin a lot of them will say okay they can come to the ATM and they're going to buy a Bitcoin and then they'll say okay now where can I go and spend it because I want to see exactly how it works yeah so yeah it is good to have a I mean I, I, I think it's good to be able to go buy a coffee. I'd love to be able to buy a coffee yeah, locally with, with. Do you guys have any cafes or here in Toronto? Not yet. Um, we've got a restaurant that accepts it. We have some, there are some different businesses, but not any bars yet that accept it. And I think it's oh, not, not that we know of. Not the, yeah, I think we would know about it though. Uh, but it's a matter of us. We've got to get on that. Merchant adoption this year, I think, is something that the, the Alliance wants to focus on. And I think even to Central here, we got to start doing some massive plugs and getting out there and taking our volunteers and start going door to door. Yeah. Well, one of the plans for the Alliance uh, this summer is uh, a Bitcoin Across Canada event where uh, everyone uh, in, in any city or any town in Canada, they can uh, print out a, a handful of of uh, pre-built flyers that the Alliance will be uh, will be giving out uh, to everyone for free. And we'll be asking everyone on the same weekend to go up and down all their main streets uh, in their town, going to each brick and mortar shop, spending no more than five minutes in the store with them, let them know what Bitcoin is, give them the sheet. Uh, if you have any questions, contact uh, you know, your local Bitcoin representative uh, in that town here. Uh, and just seeing how many we get. I think that's a fantastic idea, yeah. One should do this globally, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Seeing too, I think, I mean, just to add to the point about the adoption, how we get people to use it, you just need to get people paid in it. Like what blockchain.info does, all of their, uh, like they pay all their staff and then try to do all their transactions in Bitcoin. We hopefully maybe do like 50, start 50-50, but yeah, you get the businesses. My salary is paid in Bitcoin, right? And you just put it into their bank account. Suddenly, like, got it. They've got an incentive. Oh yeah, yeah to absolutely. to use it, and and it's already in their hands. They don't have to do any extra steps. Yeah. And then once you you know get a lot of people with like Bitcoin wallets and having reasonable value in it, they're going to require the businesses start accepting it as well, or at least the businesses will see that it's a a payment option that they they should implement. Um. Do you, do you want to say a few more words on your uh, bit consultants uh, company? So you say you do sure. security consulting. Right? That's right. Um, so my my history uh, is in cyber security uh, and, and in cyber crime. Uh, I worked as a as a forensic investigator and as an information systems auditor uh, for Fortune 500 companies here in Canada. Um, I, uh, same as my partners. Um, uh, we all we all met in in school um, where we where we were trained in, in information sciences and that's the science of uh, of, of security theory um, I, I guess it's the easiest way to put it so um, we are taking all those those classical cybersecurity and, and, and cyber crime um, uh, I guess uh, skills and we're applying it to uh, Bitcoin companies and into Bitcoin technology so our clients are uh, Bitcoin exchanges. Uh, Bitcoin gambling websites um, and other, uh, other other platforms that are making use of Bitcoin technology. They're holding funds for customers. Exactly. Um, when when any company holds uh, money on behalf of someone else, uh, that company is now at risk because if they lose those funds, not only are all their customers out of the funds, but they, they lose reputation, um, they lose market share. I mean, nobody wants to be the next empty Gox or the next Flexcoin. So uh, my, my team of auditors, we, we go in there, we take a look at your source code, we make sure that not only are you using the Bitcoin uh, protocol correctly, um, but you're also not storing 
the the Bitcoin keys in places where they they can be vulnerable to attack. Yeah. Uh, you when when it comes to um, working with, with Bitcoin, either someone has worked uh, as as a Bitcoin developer for a long time, but they're not a certified uh, security professional, or someone is a certified security professional, but they've never really worked on Bitcoin. Um, my team of, of six members, we overlap both of those on the Venn diagram. Um, so uh, I. I hate to rip on MT Gox, but uh, ever since they they had those uh, security failings, um, it's it's been great business for me. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess does that also tie with uh, the C four that uh, you uh, Anthony uh, you, you two are doing together? Or, uh, uh, no, C four is a little bit different. Um, so whereas Bitcoin Consultants is a consulting firm, uh, C four is a nonprofit uh, organization. Um, that is designed around. So it's a, it's a nonprofit. Yes, it's a nonprofit. It, it's uh, its goal is to certify uh, Bitcoin knowledge in in, uh, in professionals. So uh, a lot of industries have uh, recognized uh, certifications. For example, in in the security industry where I come from, there's the CISSP, Certified Information Systems Security Professional. Uh, it's a it's a difficult uh, certification to achieve, but it means that you understand information systems well enough that you can secure them on behalf of your customers. Uh, accountants that have uh, the CA designation uh, as a certified accountant, and that means that they they meet the minimum level of knowledge required for an accountant. Unfortunately, uh, at least not until today, uh, in the Bitcoin space, there is no bar or, or, or any measure by which people can uh, can assure their employers that they understand Bitcoin technology. So that, that's what C4 uh, aims to do. Um, we've been working hard over the last couple of months to uh, to, to build the, the, the certification body, and I'm, I'm happy to say that uh, within the next month, um, we will uh, be launching and, and certifying the first set of professionals. Uh, there are two certifications that uh, that it will be available um, uh, at the start, with with more following soon in, in different cryptocurrencies. Um, the first two will be the Certified Bitcoin Professional, or the CBP, and the second one will be Certified Bitcoin Expert, the CBX. Uh, certified Bitcoin Professional is geared more towards um, uh, accountants to sales professionals. To uh, anybody who needs to deal with Bitcoin technology in their in their daily jobs, uh, and this can prove to their employers and to potential employers that they understand Bitcoin enough to create a wallet on behalf of the company, to manage the funds, to back up back it up securely, the key management, and also the the privacy aspects of Bitcoin. Like, why do you not want to reuse the same address twice? Things that all of us in the Bitcoin space we take for granted because we've we've learned about this technology, but um, other professionals in other industries may not know. Uh, the Certified Bitcoin Expert has a, has a different focus, and that, the, the, that focus is more on developers and technical experts, uh, security auditors. Um, people who would hold a CBX designation would be able to build a transaction at the byte level. Uh, they'd be able to sign the transaction manually. They'd, they'd uh, understand all the nitty-gritty details inside the blockchain. Uh, so uh, this is more geared towards people who are developing Bitcoin applications uh, or are working on uh, Bitcoin wallets and other infrastructure. Uh, so between the two designations, um, there, uh, there, there, there are two ways for any professional to show that they understand Bitcoin enough to uh, assist their company in, in the Bitcoin space. So that's going to be a long and challenging exam, it sounds like. The, the CBX will be, yes. Uh, yeah. it, it's being modeled after all the existing uh, exams that are already in, uh, yeah. in, in other fields. Uh, for, for example, the, the, the CBX is going to be about 250 questions 
all multiple choice that will be proctored in, uh, in, a, in a physical space. Whereas the CBP, uh, the Certified Bitcoin Professional designation, that's going to be an online multiple choice test of maybe about 75 questions. Well, thanks so much, guys, uh, for joining me today and for Thank talking you. about all your projects. Thanks for visiting Toronto. Yeah, no, it's, it's been great to visit the space and uh, talk with you guys. I mean, it's, it's really exciting what you're doing and I'm, I'm ex extremely excited to see uh, what comes out of the uh, accelerator. Uh, so just uh, if you want to learn more about that, I think, uh, you know, the, there's a website, decentral.ca, right, which is the website for the accelerator and the co-working space and your events here. Um, then the website for the certification, what's that? Sure, uh, it, it will be linked uh, off of Decentral.ca's website very shortly, but uh, in the meantime, you can visit it at CryptoConsortium.org. CryptoConsortium.org, okay, thanks very much. Is there anything else uh, people should check out? If, no, the uh, Bitcoin Alliance of Canada. Which Bitcoin, Bitcoin Alliance of Canada. Canada. Bitcoin Alliance of CA. Okay, well, thanks so much, and um, I look forward to see where you guys are all, uh, you know, six months from now, a year from now, and I'm sure we'll be catching up. Um, if you want to support the show, uh, or if you want to follow us on Twitter, first of all, we are Epicenter BTC. You can also support the show by uh, donating on uh, epicenterbitcoin.com slash tips. And um, if you want to give us some feedback on how we can do the show better, or what you like about the show, what you don't like about the show, you can uh, leave us a review on iTunes. It also helps uh, new listeners find the show. And uh, finally, uh, every Friday we send out a newsletter kind of analyzing the news uh, and sending the most interesting articles we found with comments. And you can sign up for the newsletter at epicenterbitcoin.com uh, slash newsletter. So thanks so much and uh, see you next week. Thank you. Thank you.